God spoke to me, and I want to uh, convey what He has put on my heart. I'll take you to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. We're beginning reading at verse number 8. Now, this is not a traditional Christmas message, and we'll give you that tonight in service. I will, I hope to take a, a turn and talk about uh, this Christmas season, but uh, I want to lay a foundation for what I believe that God has spoken into my spirit. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 8. The Bible says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed unto Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I, what, a, what a great revelation. She says, Behold now, I per- perceive that this is a holy man of God, which patheth by us continually. Then she says in verse 10, she makes a decision. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be that when he cometh to us, he shall turn in thither. She said that I want to create a place for the presence of God to dwell in my house. I want to, it's not enough that he just comes by every so often and he breaks bread with us and we have a time of fellowship and that we get to see him every so often and I'm not, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really okay with that. I'm not satisfied with that, but I want to create a place where that when he passes by, That it's not a quick, hello, how are you doing? Let me grab something to eat and be on my way. But I want to create a place that He can just dwell with us. And that He can just rest with us. And that He can just sup with us. And that He can just commune with us a little while longer. I want to preach to you on this subject. It is simply making a place. Making a place. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you raise your hands? And would you ask God to speak into your life this morning? God, Lord Jesus, you've given a word to me. Lord, you've laid it on my heart so heavily this week. God, and I pray, Lord, that your anointing would rest upon your messenger to convey the word that you've laid on my heart. Lord, I pray for the congregation. Lord Jesus, that you would anoint their ears, God, that you would open uh, their ears to hear and give them spiritual understanding, Lord, and let your word accomplish that for which you've sent it today. And we'll praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody say, making a place. You may be seated this morning. A story like this probably would not take place in our present day. And this could simply be because the mode of travel today being so much different than than it was several thousand years ago when this prophet walked the face of the earth. But today things are much, much different. You see, the prophets, the evangelists, and the special speakers of today travel at a much faster rate of speed, either by plane or by automobile. 
But in the case of our text, in the case of Elisha, at best he would have ridden on a beast that was not created for the comforts of our modern modes of travel. What would today be an easy and a rather quick trip uh, was a long, arduous, and even uncomfortable journey that it would take to get just about anywhere as far or as was uh, so for this particular place, town called Shunem. It could have been that Shunem was located on a well-traveled thoroughfare or a popular road because the Bible tells us that Elisha passed by there often. And after seeing the prophet many times, one day the Shunammite woman held him, held his attention from the front porch of her house, and she said, Man of God, I, I fixed a meal and would like to invite you into my house. And I'd like to invite your servant into my house to come eat with me and my husband. So the Bible lets us know that Elisha and Gehazi ate and enjoyed the meal in time of fellowship before they continued on their journey to their place of destination. So Elisha, she told Elisha, I want you to feel welcome. Anytime that you're passing through, I want you to feel welcome and feel Feel free to come to my house. Feel free to knock on the door. And if I don't already have a meal prepared, Elisha, I'll, I'll, I'll throw something together real quick. I'll fix you something to eat and I'll prepare a meal for you. You're welcome to sit at my house and, and take a time of rest and have a time of fellowship before you journey on. Elisha, I want you to know that you're welcome in my house anytime that you're in the area. So the Bible lets us know that every time that Elisha and Gehazi were in the area, I can imagine rather than eating a poor meal that Gehazi cooked up by a campfire somewhere, that they may have made a special effort, maybe went out of their way to journey to be at the Shunammite woman's house. And so on many occasions, they would stop by and enjoy some good food along with some good company some good fellowship. And one day, I can see in my mind's eye, as she and her husband stood and watched the prophet and his servant walk off into the evening sunset, I can imagine she turned and she said to her husband, I can see her as she said, Babe, you know, this year, in, in, instead of taking the vacation that we had planned on taking, and instead of you building that new grain bin that you've been dreaming about, or, or instead of buying that new piece of property that you've had your eye on, honey, I, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, and there's something in me that wants to bless him. There's something in me that wants to do something special for him. And here's what I'd like to do, honey. I, I would like if we would take that money that we had set aside for the vacation and the money that we have set aside for our own wants and our own fleshly desires, I would like if we would take that money and use it to build a special room on our house so that when the prophet has come and he has eaten, he doesn't have to, to go down the road and, and pitch his tent somewhere on the side of the road and sleep on the ground, but rather... 
he could just stay here with us. He could just uh, stay a little while longer with us. He could just spend some time here in our home. If it was storming, then he could come back and he could get out of the rain or he could come by and be out of the cold. Honey, this is something that I would really like to do for the prophet. And so it was that they built a room for the prophet onto their own house. And the next time the Bible tells us that Elisha and Gehazi came by, they said, it looks like you've, you've undertaken a construction project here. Something looks different. What, what have you done? I, I noticed that you've added on to your house. And the couple looked at the prophet and his servant and said, yeah, we added a little room. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later, Elisha, but we want you to sit down. We, we've made a meal for you. We want you to eat with us. And so they, they sat down at the table that they have sat down at many times before. And they enjoyed the company of the same couple that they enjoyed many times before. And after supper had been eaten, and after the table had been cleared, and after the dishes had been done, the lady looks at him and said, do, do you, do you want to see what we've done with the house? Would you like to see the, the, the addition that we made? And so they took the man of God over to the room, and they opened the door. And they looked at Elisha and said, Elisha, we wanted to do something special for you. You've blessed us time and time again. You've stopped by our house. You brought the presence of the Lord into our house with you. And we, we are so very thankful. And there have been many suppers that have been consumed in our house. And there have been many good talks. We've talked about the goodness of the Lord. And you've blessed our heart. And we've been blessed by you just being in our presence. And we, we wanted to do something for you, Elisha. And Elisha, we want you to know that we built this room for you. Elisha, we decided that we wanted to take the vacation money. We wanted to do something uh, not for us, but we wanted to do something to bless you and to bless the man of God. Elisha, this room is for you. And so, as he stands there looking at what this couple had done for them, for him, and he looks at the furnishings in the room. I'm sure it wasn't a fancy room. It sure is, it sure is uh, I'm standing here, was not the Hilton. But they put a bed for him to lay down. They, they put a table and a stool that he could sit and, and a candle that he could read and he could study the Word of God at night. And once he was done with supper, he could go to his room and he could, be, uh, he could close himself in with the Lord for just a little bit. And then he could lay down and rest. And as long as he wanted to stay, he was welcome to stay. But he was able to get a little rest from the journey that he was on to the place that he was going to. And they said, Elisha, we built this just for you. It's not for any other occasion or reason. But when we wanted you to have a place to stay when you came by our house. Not a fancy room. Not a nice hotel, not a five-star hotel, but it was his own place where he could relax and rest. It was built specifically with him in mind. The table, the stool, the candlestick, the bed. It was all put there for the man of God. 
after he looked around, and please be patient with me for this foundation, but after he looked around at what they had constructed for him and with him in mind, after he saw what they had blessed him with, he called the Shunammite woman into his room, and she came and she stood before him, and he asked her the question, what is it that you would have me do for you? He said, I could speak to the king, or I, I could speak to the captain of the host because I run in a circle of some pretty influential people. I can talk to someone, get something that you want. But she said, I don't need anything like that. Elisha, I didn't build you a room so that you would do something for me. I don't need any of that. I'm content to dwell here among my people. You see, she didn't have a hidden agenda in making a place for the prophet. She didn't have anything in mind that she necessarily wanted when she built that room for the man of God to dwell in. It was simply out of a spirit of benevolence that was in her heart. It was out of a deep desire to do something for the kingdom of God and to further the kingdom of God. You can't separate, hear me this morning, you cannot separate the kingdom of God from the man of God. Anything that you do for the man of God in your life, you are doing for the kingdom of God. Anytime that you bless the ministry, anytime you bless the man of God, you are blessing the kingdom of God. That's why we pay our tithes. That's why we give to the church. It's not, to, it's not just to support the pastor or the man of God, but it is to further the kingdom of God. Anything that you do for the man, you are doing for the kingdom. Some people try to make a separation and say, Oh, I love the Lord, but I sure don't like my pastor. Oh, I love the Lord, but I sure don't like that evangelist. Oh, I love the Lord and I'll come and worship, but as soon as the man of God gets in the pulpit, then I'm checking out because I just don't agree. I just don't, we just don't click. But I want to tell you that if you love the Lord, then you're going to love your pastor. If you love the Lord, you're going to love the man of God. You are going to love the man of God that he has placed in your life. If you're going to love God, then you are going to love the man of God that he has set in front of you to be a watchman on the wall. So her doing this for the man of God was rendering service to the kingdom of God. Elisha and Gehazi were discussing how nice it was that this man and woman would do this and how much it was appreciated when Gehazi said, did, did you notice anything, Elisha? As many times as we've been here, is there something that you notice that there isn't the sound of any small feet in the house? There aren't children playing in the house. Have you ever noticed, Elisha, that there are no children that have been born to this couple, and they are getting along in years. So the Shunammite woman is called back again to stand before Elisha. And the prophet told her, in the right season, in due season, you're going to conceive and bear a child. 
You can tell from her emotional outpouring. You can tell from her words in the Scripture in 2 Kings that this is a deep wound on the inside of her. This is a desire that she has longed so many times to hold her own flesh and blood in her hands and rock it to sleep at night. A desire to present a man-child to her husband, to have someone to carry on the family name. But she has pushed it down and covered it up and has gone on with life, having already made a decision that it was never going to happen for them. But now her spirit leaps up inside of her. And the thing that she has so longed for in life, the thing that has been the most important thing to her is now going to come to fruition because now the prophet has spoken the word to her. She said, I can imagine as she looked at him and said, Oh, oh man of God, don't lie to me in this matter. Don't lie to me in this matter, prophet. Don't mess with my emotions like this. You don't know how much this means to me. And Elisha looks at her and says, I'm telling you, woman, that in due season, you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a child. Could it be this morning? And I want to bring this down to us in this place today. Could it be that the answer to the barrenness in your life, could it be that the answer to the broken places and the wounds that you just that just won't seem to mend is simply making a place for God to dwell in your life? Could it be those things that you have decided are never going to happen? Maybe if, if, if you would just make a place for God, if you would just build a place for Him to dwell, that God will bring them to fruition in your life. He just may bring them to pass in your life. Some of those things that you've already decided are never going to happen, that if you will just build a place for God to dwell, God will step in on the scene and do what you thought was impossible. Just like the Shunammite lady, She had already given up on the prospect of ever having a child. But she built a place and God showed up in her situation. Many people are absorbed with their own desires. They're so absorbed that they just don't have time for the kingdom of God. But the Bible says in Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. You have to prioritize your life. you got to get some things right in your life. you got to make the kingdom of God a priority in your life. you got to make the word of God a priority in your home. you got to make prayer a priority in your home. You have to make the things of God the most important things in life. They're more important than your own desires. More important than popularity. More important than any fleshly desire. But I made up in my mind that as for me in my house, I'm going to seek ye first the kingdom of God. Teach my boys, teach my family the importance of the things of God. I was so proud this morning. I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, and that's when all, always when Aiden wants to come and talk to me. He said, Dad, you think they'll be teaching from the New Testament this morning in class? And I said, well, um, I can't guarantee that, but being so close to Christmas, 
It's very possible. He said, oh, good. He said, I'm going to take my Bible. He said, I got a new, you know that New Testament Bible that, that I have that, that has my name in the front? I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that to church with me so I can follow along when they read the Scripture in class. That's what I'm talking about, teaching my kids the important things in life. And more, more important than education, and I think education's great. More important than popularity. More important than anything that I want. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Because when I make a place for the for the Spirit of God to dwell in my life, then He'll work everything else out. He'll step in on the scene and He'll perform the miracle. He'll step in on the scene once I build a place and He'll bring about that healing in my life. When I build a place for Him, then He will restore me to right relationship with Him. I'm talking about building a place, having your priorities right, making sure that you, you seek first the kingdom of God. Countless times as a child and even a teenager, I've stood in this very building. And some of you, I can look out across the, uh, the congregation and I see you here in the congregation this morning. Some have passed on and some have, have uh, decided to go other places. But countless times as a young person, I heard different ones in this church stand service after service and say, pray that God would save my family. I heard wives who were living for God requesting prayer for their unsaved husbands when they would stand. They would raise their hand and say, pray that God would save my husbands. Parents standing requesting prayer for their children that had turned their backs on God saying, I want God to save my children. And today I can look and I can't say that every one of those prayers were answered, and I, but I believe that they are on their way. But I can look out and, 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 and see an, a number of those requests that God stepped in on the scene and He saved your family and He saved your husband and He saved your children. And, 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 and you prayed that prayer for so long and today some of you are living in the blessings of God because you could have easily said, well, my family's not living for God, so I'm not going to live for God. But no, you got up service after service and you got cleaned up and you put on your clothes and you came and you raised your hands and you clapped your hands and you say, would you pray for my family? And God has saved your family. But that's what I'm talking about. You decided that I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to make a place in my life that God can dwell and that God can move. And when you make that kind of decision, God is going to show up. He's going to save your family. He's going to heal your body. He's going to unlock the miraculous in your life. But He just needs a place to dwell, a place where He feels comfortable when He comes walking down the road of your life. Let me talk to you about a sovereign move of God. We talk about having a sovereign move of God. and Some may say, well, I don't necessarily understand what a sovereign move is. Well, it is simply a time when God can step into a service or in a home and when He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants to do it. Whenever He sees fit to do it, and he steps on in on the scene and he does it. That is a sovereign move of God. I've seen him step into a church service where nobody was in tune, where nobody had beckoned him. Nobody was praying or nobody had been fasting. 
But because of his goodness and his grace, he stepped in and showed himself strong and mighty. And his spirit began to sweep across the sanctuary. I've seen him step into people's lives much the same way. They didn't care about what God was doing. They didn't even care about God necessarily. They were just going along, making a mess of their own lives when all of a sudden God stepped in and began to move and began to touch them. They woke up in the middle of the night and needed God. They were driving down the highway and felt an urgency to pray and to get right with God. And in His sovereignty, God moved anytime He wants to. In His sovereignty, He will move on your situation anytime it's right timing for Him. But what a beautiful thing it is when you just You just take the time of your own accord and you section off a piece of your life and you say, God, I built this place for you. This place is yours and yours alone. I want you to feel comfortable anytime you come by. I don't care what it may cost me. I don't care what I have to sacrifice. But God, I'm making a place for you in my life. In the Old Testament, time after time, The place that was prepared for God was where the glory of God fell. We read that as Israel made their exodus from Egypt, God stopped them at a place called Mount Sinai. And there it was at that place that he took Moses up to the top of the mountain and spoke to him and gave him the Ten Commandments. And out of all the things that God gave to Moses there on that mountain, one of the most significant things that he gave him was the tabernacle plan. It would be a place that God would come and dwell in the midst of his people. For seven chapters in the Bible, you will read the specific instructions that God gave to Moses to let him know exactly what he wanted in his dwelling place. There were latches of gold, sockets of silver. There was fine twine linen of cunning work of blue, purple, and scarlet. There were ram skins that were to be dyed red. There was to be beaten gold that would overlay certain types of wood. God specifically laid out every item from construction to furnishings. For his dwelling place. For months, construction took place by an, some, an estimated 2.5 million people who were dotting every I and crossing every T to the smallest of detail. And when all the preparation was completed, when the last nail was driven and the last stitch was sewn, and the last piece of furniture was put into into place, the Bible records and tells us that the glory cloud of God descended on that tabernacle, and it dwelt there in the tabernacle in the wilderness. It overshadowed them in a way that it had never overshadowed them before. As for, and as the glory cloud, excuse me, descended and rested on that place, It manifested itself on a daily basis as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Hear me this morning. I've noticed a lot of people in my lifetime 
that didn't have any direction in their life. They wandered around aimlessly, much like the children of Israel who wandered the wilderness. They, run, they wandered around aimlessly, having no real direction. They didn't know what was up from down. And they were just kind of going through their life, just, just in a wandering, in a, kind of a, a holding pattern, if you will. If you will. They had no idea what they were, what they were, or where they were going, or what they were going to do. They were just living for the moment. They were just floating along, slamming into circumstances and bouncing off of situations. The children of Israel found themselves in a very similar situation in all their wilderness wandering. But that all changed once they built a place for God. All that wandering and all that wandering aimlessly, all that misdirection ended once they decided we're going to build a place that God can dwell among us. After building God a place, they never had to wonder what direction they needed to travel in. Because when the pillar of cloud moved, they moved. When the fire moved, they moved. When the pillar of of fire turned in one direction, then they turned to follow the fire. If you don't have direction in your life this morning, and maybe you're wondering uh, which way to travel, then you need to section off a place in your life this morning. You need to go ahead and make a place where God in the glory of God can dwell. If you will make a place for God, He will dwell with you and He will order your steps. He will order you on your job. He will order your life's purpose. He will make, and if all you have to do is make a place for Him in your life. It's just that simple. We don't, God, it's not God's plan for us to just wander through life aimlessly. It's not God's desire that we don't have any direction in our life. And we, we, we find ourselves in that situation and so many times we question and we don't know what to do. Well, I'll tell you what to do. You just go ahead and build a place for God in your life. You make sure that you're putting Him first in your life. You make sure you're putting Him first in your home. If you're having trouble in your home, then you need to build a place for God. If you're having trouble on your job, then you need to build a place for God. If you're having trouble in your family, then you need to build a place for God in your life. Once they built that place... They never had to wonder which direction to go again. Let me take that a little further by saying, moms and dads, you need to not only teach your children about the importance of making a place for God in their lives, but you better be an example to them. It's not a do as I say, not as I do. But you need to do it, and you need to do it in front of your family. They're watching you, and they will follow in your footsteps. And at that point where they grow up from that cute little kid, teenagers, forgive me, but into that smart aleck teenager, oh, Lord, I look for those days. And they know everything, and they got that driver's license, and they got their sense of freedom. There's going to be a time... That they're, that they're going to want to go their own way and open their own doors in life and to do their own thing. Imagine the children in the wilderness. The parents would say, don't go too far. 
Don't wander too far out in this barren wasteland. It gets toward even, evening and they're playing with their toy soldiers and they're running up and down in the, in the valleys and the high places in the wilderness. And uh, it's getting dark and they're having a good time uh, coming in and out of the gullies and just and, and chasing each other around. And all of a sudden, it's dark and they're lost. They wanted to go off and do their own thing. Listen to me, young people. What are you going to do in that moment when you find yourself in darkness and you're lost and you can't find your direction and you don't know what to do? You can't hear the laughter and the voices from camp anymore and you surely can't see the camp anymore. What all those children had would have to do they would have to find a little high ground, a little knoll. And they could stand on top and they could, they could survey the horizon. And there they could see that fire burning over the tabernacle just outside of that encampment of people. And, 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 and they would say, I, I know which way to go because mom and dad built a dwelling place for God. All, all I have to do is survey the horizon and find the pillar of fire, and I know exactly the direction I need to go. Listen to me, young people. You need to set a place for God in your life to dwell. You need to let the fire of God dwell in your life. And when you're out there all alone, and, and there will be times where you'll feel all alone and you'll feel lost, and you don't know which direction to go, all you have to do is, fi- is follow the glory of God, whether it's a cloud or whether it's a pillar of fire. But it will always lead you back to the presence of God. It will always lead you back to the place where God is dwelling among you. I want you to notice something that when the test came, Elisha carefully constructed, he carefully built an altar for the Lord, and then he just stepped back. And after he built the place, After he built that altar, he just stepped back and said one simple prayer. He didn't juke and jive and speak in tongues for 30 minutes, but he said one simple prayer and he watched as fire fell from heaven. You don't have you don't have any overcoming power in your life. Maybe you're here in this in in this place and this morning you say, Well, I don't have that kind of power in my life. Are you pulled? around by your flesh, can't seem to make the right decisions, I got your answer this morning, and it's simply build a place for God. Carefully construct the altar, and the power and the fire will fall. The Bible says that when the fire fell, that it consumed not only the sacrifice, but it also consumed the wood, the stones, the dust, and the water that was around. It consumed absolutely anything. What I want to tell somebody here today is that when the fire falls, it will consume stuff that you never thought 
it would be possible to consume in your life. You see, the stones represented the hard things in life, but the fire took care of the stones. The dust represented all the worthless stuff in their lives and all the stuff that didn't matter, the stuff that clutters up their, your life, but the fire took care of the dust, and the water represented all the impossible things, and that fire was powerful enough to take care and evaporate the water as well. And if you want the same fire and the same power in your life, then you're going to have to build a place for God to dwell. You're going to have to build an altar and watch the fire fall from heaven and consume all the negative things, all the bad things in life. God will send the fire and the fire will consume and it will dwell among you. I quickly draw to a close this morning. Solomon's temple was said to cost billions of dollars, though none knows, no one knows the exact amount. But for seven years, the finest artists, craftsmen, and carpenters in the world came together and focused their attention and efforts on that one project. At the completion of the temple, they slew 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep as sacrifices and the glory cloud came down in such a way that the priests could not minister in its midst. I'm giving you example after example after example where they built a dwelling place and the glory of God showed up. The glory of God came down and it dwelt among them. Never before as had the, the, the presence of God enveloped humanity as it did at Solomon's temple. Then after the choir sang and the dedication speeches were made and the people shaked and quaked under the power of God, the Bible says that the Lord appeared unto Solomon and the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me and I have hallowed this house which thou hast built and put my name there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. You want more than a casual acquaintance with God? You want more than just a a, a little five minutes of a feel-good visitation from God? You want more than just goosebumps every few months on a Sunday morning? Do you want to know what the key to a lasting relationship with God is? The key is building a place for Him to dwell. The key is making room for Him. It's letting God know that you're welcome here anytime. If you will make a place, God will come. And when you need Him, you will know exactly where you need to find Him. And He will be in that place. He will be in that room. If you will be faithful to Him, He will be faithful to you. I'm closing this morning. I'm going to take you back to our text. I'm going to take you back to that place. Now, many years have gone by and that child, that promise that was made has grown up into a young lad. He likes farming. He, he's out almost every day in the field with his father. 
such a promising young boy, and his parents are so proud of him. He is the joy of their lives, but one day he gets sick out in the field with his father. Dad has him carried back to his mother to care for him. And she, sensing the severity of his illness, she gathers her baby in her arms. And the Bible says that she sat and she rocked him until the noonday. And then he stiffens. He sighs and she realized that life has passed out of his body. But instead of the panic-stricken screams that you and I would imagine that would come from her, holding a dead promise, mom carries the body of her baby to the room that she had built many years ago because of a love for God. She laid his body there on the bed of the prophet, Elisha. Servant, go get an animal. I've got a dinner to make. She tells her husband, baby, don't worry. All shall be well. Well, how can you say that, mom? How can you have that kind of attitude? The promise is dead. Mom, your baby has died. The promise that you had hoped for for so long is lying there on that bed lifeless. I'm not panic-stricken because years ago, I built a place. I made a place for God to dwell. And when the prophet comes back, the glory will come back and everything's going to be all right. You just wait and see. Go get an animal. Let's fix supper. The prophet's on his way. What are you going to do when life starts crashing in on top of you and you don't have any answers? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to run to that place. I'm going to run to that room that I built for him. I'm going to go to that, lot, that section of life that I've roped off and that's his and his alone. I don't, I don't clutter it with anything else. I don't let anything else occupy that space because that I built that place for him. I'm going to run to the place where I know that I can find him. I know where he'll be when I need him in my darkest hour. What a priceless investment. Just one small room, yet it became a place that was the site of two great miracles. Two miracles came out of that place they built for God to dwell. Now, if I can make one last comparison, and I can draw this in to this celebration time and read you Luke chapter 2. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of, his, out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I want you to get this type in shadow. 
And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Imagine with me the thoughts of the innkeeper. He didn't realize what was going on. It was happening right in front of him, but he missed it. Not only did he miss it by not making room in his establishment for this mother and her soon-to-be-born child, but he missed it by not even calling help from Mary who was getting ready to birth a child. He said, I don't have any room for you. But if you need a place, I guess there's a stable out back. You can just go in there and try not to mess anything up. Try not to mess with the livestock. Try not to cause any commotion out in the barn. She brought forth her firstborn son. Who did? She did. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Who did? She did. Where were the midwives? Where was the innkeeper? Could he have not just sent someone to help the woman who was about to give birth to a child? Not even the innkeeper's wife was concerned with Mary. Nobody was concerned about the baby or his mother. The prophet said that he would be despised and rejected. But surely... They could find somebody that would help them with the birth of their child. The old preacher G. Campbell Morgan writes this way. Think of the pathos or the tragedy of it. She brought forth, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. It is very beautiful, but oh the pity of it. The tragedy of it, the loneliness of it, in that hour of hours when motherhood should have been surrounded by the tenderest of care, Mary was all alone, and she had no place to lay him. The Savior of the world, the King of kings, yet nobody made room for him. The method of the writer is very distinct. She wrapped the baby with her own hands and laid him in a manger with nobody there to help. The pity of it and yet the glory of it to the heart of Mary was God was born in Christ to reconcile the world to himself. I don't know anything about the innkeeper, so I don't want to be too harsh, but I do know that unlike the Shunammite woman, he was too busy to make a place for the Lord to dwell. He had no room for the lady in his establishment. Because of his unwillingness to make a place, he missed the most important birth of the Savior, though it happened on his very own property. If I were you 
to use a word to describe the innkeeper today, it would simply be preoccupied. He was simply too busy to deal with a mother and the birth of her child. I'm booked. People made reservations a year ago, and I need to honor those reservations. There are some of my best customers who stay here year after year at tax time. They make, they make their reservation a year in advance. I don't want to lose their business because I let you have their room. I wish you well, ma'am, but I can't give you a room to stay in. I can't be busy to clean up a room of someone who just checked out because I'm busy taking care of my customers. You're going to have to find your own place. You're going to have to make your own way. It was the time in the city of David that when all the lineage of David had come back for the taxation there in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem. The city was bursting with people. And the innkeeper was very busy caring for his, for his guests. He wasn't hostile. He wasn't indifferent. But he was simply too busy to make a place for the Savior. I guess there are a lot of people like that. Maybe some sitting in this building this morning. We go through this Christmas season. And... Uh, we're busy shopping and busy trying to get gifts wrapped and find the right gift for Johnny or Susie. And the chambers of our souls and our lives are filled with needless things. They're filled with human interest and filled with stuff that really doesn't matter. Here's the greatest event that had ever taken place in the cosmos and yet somebody or nobody, rather, was willing to make a place for Christ. Today, I know that I've been a little lengthy, and I do apologize. But I'm talking to someone that you have allowed every area of your life, that place that you should have set aside for God, for the glory of God. You've allowed it to become cluttered. You've allowed just anything to occupy that space. Because, you know, I, I, really, I really need that space, that space. I really got some things that I need to store there. Right? Some things that I just, I have that I, I really don't want to get rid of. I, I really don't want to let it go. I don't wanna really put, want to put it in a garage sale. I, I, don't, I don't really want God to, to take that away because it's something I enjoy. But so I'm just going to, just for now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it in that room. I'm going to stick it in that place, and I'm going to let it just stay there. And time passes, and dust gathers, and things get added to that space. And before you know it, God's walking down the road. and He's coming to your house because after all, you told Him you're welcome here anytime. And He's walking down the road and knocks on your door. I'm here. I'm here to stay. I'm here to dwell with you. But you have no room for Him. Either you built a place and you filled it up with everything else or you really haven't built a place after all. I'm talking to every person in this building this morning and I want to let you know that it's important that we make a place 
even in this busy season, even in our busy lives, even with our busy jobs and our children, all the sporting events, all the extracurricular activities, and those are all fine and good. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But even in the midst of all this, we got to make sure that we leave a place where when God comes walking and God comes knocking on the door, we can say, I've been waiting on you. I, I got your room all clean. I got your bed made. It's, it's ready to go. Your, your table's there and your, your stool and your candlestick's there. Would you just please come in and would you just stay with us a little while? Would you just dwell among us? God, would you just let your spirit just overshadow us? Would you let the glory fall in our home? Would you let your glory fall in my life? God, I've set aside this place for you. Would you please dwell? Would you please not be in a hurry? Would you please not leave, but just stay here a little while? God, I want you in my life and in my home. Would we stand together this morning? I preached my heart to you. I preached what God laid on my heart. And the rest is up to you. I can't make you respond, and I can't build a place for you. But you have to build a place for yourself. As my wife sings, as the praise singers sing, I open these altars and I ask that we would just make a, take a few minutes this morning and that we would just if, if, if that we just take that space that we've, we supposedly set aside for God, that we would just clean it out today or, or maybe you haven't Maybe you're here and you haven't built that place. Why don't you just start the construction today? Why don't you just start driving the nails and start clearing out that space today and say, God, I'm making a place for you. These altars are open. I invite you to come. Spend a few moments just constructing and making that place for God to dwell.
give you that place in my life. Oh, I give you my soul. 